This has the potential to be one of those long ones because you're tuned into the Grace Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore. I'm Greg White. Jason Pridmore is here. He's on the line. JP, how you doing? Hey, G-Dub. G-Dub. I'm good. Nope. I'm good. I am uh, got to come home for a weekend. I wasn't really feeling my best. I got to go... Um, I got to go see the new Chuck Walla on Friday. I did a, I did an event out there. Um, and and is it everything everybody says it is? Is it, the pavement nice? Man, is, yeah. The hole so that caught you out and, and wrecked your ankle again gone. <laughs> yeah, no, it's smooth as silk. I, I you know what's funny, mm. G Dub is I didn't get to ride it, which is kind of a bummer. Um, oh, I just taught all day, kind of like a star school back in the day. But I taught all day because all of my riding gear. I have two sets of of riding gear. Um, that I primarily use is all back east at Barber. So um, it's a long story. And I, I could have thrown some stuff together, but all my stuff either had, you know me, G-Dub, I give all my stuff away mostly. And yeah, I had a suit, but I didn't really have any boots, didn't have any gloves. The helmets I had were a little bit older. I just didn't want to take the chance. So I went out there, but we had a great day. Everybody talked nothing but great stuff about the track. I did one like lap at 10 mile an hour on the evening before just to go look at it. And um, they've done great work. Literally, they've done great work. Um, track looks looks awesome. It looks smooth. It's probably going to be really fast. And yeah, the only bummer is they got their first race weekend this next one when we're in Barber. So, um, mm. you know, so I'm not going to be out there for that. But but regardless of that, it was still it was still great. Yeah, looks good. Hmm. I can't wait to see it myself. Uh, This podcast is presented by Bike911.com. Go check out Bike911.com. If you need some information, you got a motorcycle accident, got a contract coming up, you just want to talk to our boy, Alex Asante, just about motorcycle racing. He might talk to you about it. You don't know, but he'll charge you per hour. That's what I would do. (laughs) I mean, don't just call and waste his dime. I mean, the guy is an attorney, but we're so happy that Bike911.com is a part of this podcast. We're going to be talking about MotoGP Aragon. We have a special guest in Josh Hayes, which I'm sure you've seen in this description. Going to be bringing him on board, having a chit-chat with him about, I don't know, time Miguel Duhamel's all-time record, maybe number one, doing the double. There's going to be a bunch of stuff, maybe some old-timey stories. That'd be nice. We could probably do a podcast just with Josh. Probably. So. We sh- maybe someday we do, you know what I mean? Let's just have a, maybe just you and Josh do your own podcast. You, mm-hmm. yeah, good one. Yeah, anyway, uh, we're supported by Patreon. You guys, you guys can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash Greg's garage TV. If you just have a kind heart and you like all the effort Jason and I are putting in to entertain you, feel free. I'll be trying to add some extra content during the winter time. Once the season is over, I'll have some time freed up. And, um, it's in the description of the podcast is the link. Yeah, All right. Perfect. So uh, you want to get right into it, Jay? Because I just, like I said, I have a feeling that we're going to be, yeah. be long today. So, yeah, and we got the, a lot of news items to talk kill about. The, kill the news here and then, and then start it, and then we'll get right into Aragon. Yeah, that's right. It's news presented by Arai. Go to AraiAmericas.com and check out all the latest paint schemes they have going on, some good ones. Go to my Go to Instagram. My. Because I'm going to be posting up the new Johnny Ray replica that I have. The one where it was like the the old Kawasaki one. I got it. I got it. it looks good. I'm excited about it. I got to post it up on Instagram. Headed to Barber this week. But anyway, go to RyanAmericas.com and check it out. All right. First item we have here. Well, the 2023 MotoGP schedule, it's a provisional schedule, is out. And uh, if you didn't hear about it, the FIM and Dorna are adding a Saturday sprint race to the schedule. And there have been some other changes uh, to that schedule. 
Now, Jay, what's really interesting is, is if you look at what's going to happen with the MotoGP daily schedule, the Sunday morning warm-ups for Moto3 and Moto2 are gone. They're going to reduce the warm-up for MotoGP from 20 minutes to 10 minutes. Got it. All right. That's kind yeah. of the big deal. Uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about warm-ups being gone? I, you know what, G-Dub, I, I just think it's all going to be a matter of change and getting used to things and it'll sort itself out. Um, the warm-up sessions are important, but a lot of these guys, they're ready to go, man. If you ever go to these races like I did at Mazzano and you go look at what their first laps are, their first two laps are always just insanely fast. So, you know, warm-up wise, I think that uh, that it won't be that big a deal, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, most of the comments, especially on the MotoGP side of things, the press had asked some people that were getting interviewed about it, and everybody just said, look, 10 minutes is enough. You know, the the only thing we need to do, like Jack Miller was the only one who really said, like, I, you know, it's it's good to wake up in the morning, get your, get your eyes up to speed again, and Correct. three laps, four laps is plenty. If yeah. you're having to make some wholesale changes going into a 10-minute warm-up, you got some major issues. On the lower classes, Moto3, Moto2, who don't get that warm-up, they're just going to race. I think it's going to affect them a little bit more. Um, Augusto Fernandez talked about it and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I agree with you. Speaking of that, the last piece of the rider puzzle has been put together, and it is Augusto Fernandez who is going to be um, the last rider kind of, I don't know, you know, I guess confirmed, right, in MotoGP for the season. The Moto2 riders going. So here's what it looks like, Jay. Mm-hmm. Aprilia, Alicia Spargaro, Maverick Vinales. Factory Ducati, Pecco Bagnaia, and Anea Bastianini. Brissini, Fabio Diagiantonio, Alex Marquez. On the LCR Honda, Alex Rins and Nakagami's back on board. On, of course, Factory Yamaha, Fabio Quattararo, and Franco Morbidelli. On the Mooney VR646 team, it's uh, Bedzecki and Marini. That doesn't change. And on the, I don't know, Prima, whatever, you know, Ducati, the, yep. the Pramac team. Pramac team, yeah. Zarco and Martin. On the factory KTM, Bender, Jack Miller, and on factory Honda, Marquez, and Joanne Mir. So 22 slots, not 24, because Suzuki is gone. As far as we know, nobody's purchased those slots, or I don't even know what Suzuki's going to do with those grid spots. So we have that taken care of. Your thoughts on uh, on what the grid's going to look like next year for MotoGP? Um, it's going to be really interesting. I think that... Uh especially right now after what happened this weekend with the Ducatis. I think that they only said they're going to run four factory bikes next year only, right? That's the kind of the word. Everybody else is going to yeah. be on the 22s, even though we had eight Ducatis um, going into the season. Um, I, you know, Greg, it's, it's Yamaha's the big concern, isn't it? I mean, they've got Quattro. It looks like they made a big jump with the motor at that they tested at Mizano the second day. They probably wishes they had that bike or in the bike right now. Um, so I think that next year, boy, it, it was Suzuki gone and Yamaha downsizing to just a two rider feel, a two rider team. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a hit there, I think, in the sense that we're starting to see what, what there's going to be eight Ducatis and then there's going to be four Aprilias next year. Yes. Four Hondas. So, you know, it's going to be four, four KTMs, right? With gas, gas, KTM, four same KTMs. Things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to see a, ja- a Japanese manufacturer completely, Go to one side, being Suzuki, gone. Uh, another one that's won the championship downsize. Um, and another one that's been basically the dominant force in MotoGP for years and years and years, arguably with the worst bike on the grid, possibly. Um, 
So I think that, you know, I can't say that Honda's the worst bike on the grid, but there's only one guy that really seems to be able to run the KTM up front weekend and week out, even though Oliveira's done well. Bender's been the primary guy. Um, you know, saying that, I know Oliveira's won, what, four Grand Prix, which is impressive, but he hasn't done as well this year. It, it, the whole thing is going to be very, very interesting to see how it plays out. Oliveira did win in Indonesia this year, right? In that kind of half wet, half dry condition, I think. He, he did, yeah. So, and, and again, you know, the big so change is coming. Unfair, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, big change yeah. is coming. I mean, you know, because we know that Yamaha's got a 2023 motor that Quattararo has said, man, I wish I had it right now. And he obviously can't because of the rules. The question is, the 2023 seems to uh, to be as good as some of the other bikes, but are they going to develop it even more? And Yamaha's going to be on their back foot again. I will that's, say this. I will say this. Testing. I will say this. It looks to me, just on paper, and from what we've seen in the last couple rounds, Boy, that factory Ducati team is going to be difficult to beat next year. Like between Bagnaia and Bastianini, I think that they've got that right in the sense that it's going to be very, very difficult to beat those two guys. Unless unless they re-engineer themselves out of a great bike again for the first two or three races of the year like they did this year. Well, you got to hope only that that, thing that I the see. Case. I don't know how much they would change on that. I don't really see anybody yeah. else. It's such a hard one, G-Dub. I mean, I think that it's just going to yeah, be very interesting yeah, yeah. to see how that goes. So, yeah. All right, really quickly, just let me go back to the schedule because um, I really didn't mention it. But so Portimao kicks off the year March 26th. By the third round, April 16th is when MotoGP comes to Circuit of the Americas in Texas. So mark your calendar, April 16th. I would probably start looking at hotels, you know, yeah. doing all that kind of stuff. The interesting bit is, is that July 9th, they're scheduled to go to Kazakhstan in a Sokol, I think it's, it's S-O-K-O-L circuit. I had a look at it. You know, from just the drawing, the overhead perspective, thing looks like super basic. You know, it's very computer-generated track-looking thing. But that's a very interesting one. That's going to be July 9th. That has a question mark on on, the, on this provisional calendar. So we go to Doha, Jay, November 12th. Wow. And then, the year. So, so basically what you're – yeah, you're going, dude, this looks crazy. So you start your flyaways. Um, at least you have a couple weeks in between. Mizano is September 10th. Then on the 24th of September, you go Sepang. Then you go Motegi, wow. Phillip Island, Thailand, Indonesia, wow. all the way to Qatar. And then you finish up the very next weekend at Valencia in Spain. Yeah. So I think it's 20. I think I counted 21 races. That is like a that. late race but, at Valencia. That's a late one. Dude, really, so, really late. It's pretty wild. What, what, you know, what a year. Uh, okay. So let's see. We talked about Fernandez. going to be Paul Spargro's yep. teammate. And um, let's see some other news. Cameron Bobier is out of MotoGP in the Moto2 class. Uh, it was announced that he's no longer going to be with the American Racing Team. There has been speculation on the internet about where he is going to go. I can tell you there's been no official press release. Jason and I know exactly what's going on. We have, we have weeks, but we're not telling anybody anything because it's not our position to say anything, so we're waiting for press releases. But just on that thought, Jay, with Cameron out of American Racing, uh, you know, do you have some, some thoughts about that? You know, I, I do. And, you know, again, Greg, I don't know how fair it is to talk about, you know, certain things. But look, when you're when you are over there, you're not getting results. And there's other factors. It's not just the results. You know, I see what people say and write. And it's such a joke because people just don't know what they're on about. And to sit there and <laughs> they don't and, yeah. and criticize anything, you know, of reasons I we should all be stoked that Cameron's coming back because we get to see such a great talent right over here again. Um, if that's the case, if he, uh, if he's, but, yeah, if he's coming yeah, back. If that's yeah. the case, I mean, look, 
everything everything kicked off this week. My phone was going nuts. And at the end of the day, it's it's you know Cameron really well. I've gotten to know him very well. He's such a good guy. And um, I, I think that some of the speculations and things that I had, I had a rant about three or four weeks ago that I got a lot of, a lot of email or uh, not emails, but um, messages about. And, and, you know, I don't think I was that far off to be honest with you. So, you know, if he ends up coming back, great. So we'll just, we'll have to, yeah, have no. to wait and see. Bobier is definitely going to light junior cup on fire. There's no question about that. Well, I thought it was twins back. cup. Uh, I thought he was going to do twins cup. But oh, yeah. sorry. Twins. That's right. He's aged yeah. out, isn't he? He's aged, He's aged out, out of junior, junior cup. cup. So you got yeah. shit. Together. Yeah. Tw- yeah. Twins cup. Yeah. Uh, speaking of future Twins Cup riders, uh, American Garrett Gerloff is staying in World Superbike for 2023. He's going to move from Yamaha to the BMW team with Loris Baz on the Bonovo Action Racing team. I think brilliant move. You know, kind of that thing we've seen in sports, Jay, where somebody, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, Tom Brady, who goes from one place to another, gets rejuvenated or whatever. What, do you, what are your thoughts about Gerloff moving over? He had a good, you know... A building last world superbike round getting quicker and quicker. Well, look, there's nobody that would question Garrett's ability to ride a motorcycle. He's incredible. It doesn't matter what you put him on. You could put him on any bike and he's going to get the most out of it. It's right now Garrett's in an inner battle with himself because I think that he would self-admittedly tell you that the bike and stuff that he is on right now is capable. He's It's more than capable of getting the job done that he would be able to do. But the inner battle that Garrett has with himself right now mentally to be able to stick his nose in places that he has before that he hasn't recently. You know, I think that, you know, the the, the big accidents and things that happened last year where, you know, he had an incident with Johnny Ray, he had an incident obviously that was very well documented with Top Rack. Those have played into a part of his mental right now that has been very, very difficult for him to shake. And that's that's the bottom line. And I don't know if a motorcycle change is what he needs. He's still going to have to go against the same guys. I think going on to that BMW is great. That bike is on the upswing right now. It's uh, BMW is making a much, I mean, a huge footprint again in motorcycle road racing around the globe. So for Garrett to go there, maybe start fresh, new team, new bike, I think is all very, very positive. So, um, you know, obviously we wish him nothing but the best. Yeah. And I think having Eugene Laverty in management now at the Bonovo action team could do great things for Garrett Gerloff in terms of having someone there that understands the mentality of a racer and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm really pumped for Garrett. I'm glad that he, he kind of gets out of Yamaha just because, you know, of everything that went on. And sometimes, you know what, when you're trapped in a bad relationship, you definitely can't thrive. That's right. Well, Jason, one of your favorite races happened over the weekend, the Bulldor 24. And the winner is, I don't even know how to pronounce it. They're Yamaha, but it's uh, v- Vitesse, Vitesse Racing, a goal number 333. I'm sorry I'm not familiar with the team. I don't really know much about them. But in the end, they beat giants like FCC, TSR, Honda, France, and Yosh, Cert, and Yart, and all those guys. Now, Jay, the, the deal was is that freaking our boy Chaz Davis and his Ducati team were out front. They were leading this thing to like, what, 80 minutes? And 80 then minutes. something started 80 minutes to go in a 24-hour race. They were out front, bro. And, you know, I don't think Ducati's ever won a world endurance no. race, so they were going to make history and all that stuff. So, unfortunately, something started to smoke. They got back out, and I believe they finished fifth. But at the end of the day, it was FCC TSR Honda France that ends up winning the championship. Congratulations to them. 
But Jason, the reason I wanted to bring this up, other than, yep. you know, I'm always looking for news items. You have been in the position as a small private team to beat the major teams and win races and, and you know, even stand on the podium, whatever, win world championships. How great is it for that 3-3-3 team that they ended great. up winning the Baldor 24? You know, Greg, they were, I think, just starting to get involved when I was kind of um, stopping doing world endurance at the end. They were mm-hmm. a stock thousand. They were like a super stock team is what it's called over there. Okay. Yeah. And then they've they've progressed, I think. And I don't know much about them either. I think the heartbreak for, uh, you know, when you look at the Ducati thing, wasn't it Chavi Forrest who was riding with him? Chavi Forrest, uh, Chaz, and, Chavi, then, Chaz and then David Cheka. And... David Cheka is a yeah. good friend. Like, he is a great guy. I've watched him. He started off with GMT. He rode for GMT 94 for a number of years along with, um, uh, oh, I just gone Blake, Christoph, uh, Christoph Gio, who runs GMT 94, which are just a great team. Then he went to Kawasaki. He's definitely in the the later uh, late 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 stages of his career now, but for them to for Ducati to win a twenty four hour that's that grueling, especially at that track, the Mistral straightaway there is almost a mile long. Wow! At, at Paul Ricard, and so for them to have that happen is is bad. On the flip front, I believe the FCC team is the team that Gino Rea was racing for this year. So for them to win the World Championship is pretty cool because we know Gino's battling right now. If anybody's followed social media, they put out a, a you know, they're, they're doing some fundraising for him right now as far as getting him back to where he's going to hopefully be able to live a normal life again because uh, his brain took a pretty big hit there at Suzuka G-Dub. And I know he's back in, in the UK now. And uh, I saw people like Johnny Ray and things reach out on that front to try to help raise some funds for him. Yeah, there's been people across the board, actually, yeah. because he's such a good dude. So, Great dude. yeah, you definitely want to check that out. Well, that is our news presented by Arai, which means now we'll go ahead and transition to MotoGP at Aragon. Let's what a weekend. do it. What a weekend. And it was a weekend, Greg, that was it was happily to, you know, it was it stayed dry all weekend. Um, there was a lot of things coming into this race based off of uh, Quattararo being able to keep these Ducatis behind him. We saw him qualifying, Greg. I believe he ended up fifth or sixth, but it looked like he had good race pace. It was just a matter of could he keep these these Ducatis in check to where he'd be able to go away. He himself said the next three rounds were going to be key, and it they definitely were. But it was Anea Bastianini taking the win over Bagnaia in what was a great race at the front. Bagnaia did such a good job leading for so long. The pass Bastianini put underneath him, and I believe it was turn seven at Aragon, um, was a great pass. He, mm-hmm. He's able to go on and win this race. Alicia Spargo ends up third with Brad Bender, who just got such a great start and, uh, you know, uh, he ends up getting fourth on that KTM by two tenths, Greg. I mean, he was right there all the way to the end. Jack Miller followed those two guys home all together, all three of those guys. Then it was Jorge Martin over Luca Marini and Zarco kind of went backwards. Zarco was a main guy up at the front for a while. Alex Renz, I don't know if you saw it, Greg, but when that accident happened with Quattararo that we'll talk about in a minute, uh, he ended up, he was sitting with fast lap after fast lap. He ends up ninth over Bedzeki Oliveira, Alex Marquez, Vinales, Crutchlow, who we'll talk about too, and Paul Spargo, <laughs> 15th. I think when you look at this race, Greg, it was pretty wild because Mark Marquez made his return. And of course, he's right in the thick of things right off the start. He uh, comes, I think, didn't he come from like the fourth row? Fourth, fourth row. row. I think he was in right fifth, on the outside, sixth, whatever he was by the time they got through turn two. Then he had a moment, and Quattararo was right up behind him. 
And it just, it was a racing incident. It was nothing more than that. I didn't think, although Zarco has come out with some pretty heavy criticism on Marquez and, um, which I think is funny, but, but it looked like a race incident where the rear tire what, kind of what, snapped. What did Zarco say? Quiet. I'm curious. Well, Zarco basically thought that Marquez was being reckless and, you know, I don't know what these guys are supposed to do. You got to be aggressive at the start of a race. And Marquez is there for a job. He's trying to win. He's, I mean, that's his job. And he was aggressive. I don't know what that. So he was basically comes out of turn three. The rear of the bike snapped underneath him a little bit. And Quattro just happened to be really, really close to him as he would be, especially at the start of a race like that. And touched the back of Marquez's bike. And thank goodness Quattro wasn't hurt. This was already going to be a huge hit on the day. Could have been five points worse had Bastianini not passed Bagnaia. And um, it was a huge hit to Quattro's points. But, man, the way that bike ran him over and stuff, Greg, I was really fearing that he was going to be really badly injured. Yeah, me too. I think the leathers blew open again, too. There's been some fr- like frame captures that I've seen where his leathers are unzipped and stuff like that. But hopefully this isn't Leathergate Part 2. But I did see the, the photo where he's got um, like bandages on his chest and his, his abdomen chest. and stuff like wow, that. But, yeah. okay. but he's going to be fine. I mean, he posted like, you know, little hurt, but but not that big of a deal. Yeah, and then you know, so he hits him. Something happens to the rear end of the bike. The the uh, ride height, like when you activate the the ride height system, the morphing thing when you come out of the corner wasn't working. It was like locking up his rear tire. I can't even imagine what that was doing to the electronics, by the way. And then wow. Nakagami yeah, is on the imagine? side of him. Marquez is trying to save it. Like it was, it was pretty gnarly. Well, the Nakagami I mean, thing was really interesting because as the bike's wheelie coming off that corner, the guys are kind of using body English. And you could see that Nakagami, he got to that state, right, Greg, where he just touched or him and Marquez just kind of got together. And all of Nakagami's body weight was hanging off the inside of the bike and he couldn't get back into the seat. And the bike just kept on kind of steering to the right. And as soon as his bike and Marquez's bike let go of each other, he went down the road. And I heard he's he had surgery on like a couple fingers I read this morning um, as far as because of the skin on his fingers. But he didn't have to have any skin grafts, so it looks like he's probably going to be able to line up in Japan. Oof, that'd be a big one. I mean, it's always good to line up in your home race, without Correct. question. Correct. Um, so when we when we look at the race and you look at the the way the championship is, so basically Quartararo's out, massive opportunity for Bagnaya. He leads every lap except the last one. Bastianini looked good. Jay, let's talk about what's going on in the press because obviously what we're seeing here is. The first two, three laps are find your position. Yeah. And then people are creating gaps and they're staying in. We don't see a lot of passing. I think a lot of it has to do with arrow now. It has to do with, obviously, with the arrow front tire temperatures. And then it's the last couple laps, right? Two or three laps, we saw some more action, people pushing. So, I mean, we knew going into Aragon that Aragon was a tire conservation race. Everybody talked about it leading up to it. It's about yeah. saving tires. It's about blah, 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 blah. But do you think that it's becoming like an NASCAR race, right? Where it's like, oh, I've heard plenty of people say I can watch the first five laps and the last five laps. Then I watch the highlights of all the crashes in the middle. That's a race. Or a Formula One race I, people are talking about. I don't about. think that. Now, I do think that there are tracks that are going to be a little bit more boring than others. I don't think Aragon yeah. is one of those. I thought, there was, I thought it was great racing throughout. And I thought that you have guys going the same speed. Now, what's really interesting, G-Dub, is you brought out you know, you talked about the schedule for next year. If guys like Zarco think that Marquez is being too aggressive in a in a full length MotoGP race, 
Well, then next year. In, <laughs> wait next till year a half distance. Races, yeah, wait till yeah, a half distance sprint you know, race on Saturday. We start doing 10 lap yeah. sprint races on MotoGP bikes. Guys want to get to the front. I think that, yeah. um, you know, you're, it, the narrative for me has been, and I think that it kind of goes along with a lot of guys I talk to. Racing is racing. Racing is dangerous. Nobody's going out there to do anything bad to anybody, but there's still going to be a lot of aggression and you got to have that. And, you know, there's going to be guys whose feelings are going to get hurt by somebody going by them or trying to pass them close or whatever. Um, so, you know, it would be interesting to see what would happen if they took all the wings off the bikes and things like that to where, I mean, the bikes are, would be really hard to ride, I would think. Um, and I don't know if that is the be all end all of what is causing the racing no, to be a wings bit off professional. The squat dude, devices coming out of a corner just make it more like a motorcycle. I mean, they just yeah. Look- but Greg, we were talking about this stuff 15, 20 years ago when TC was really becoming a huge part, and there were no, MotoGP guys back then going, "Take the TC off, let's ride these things." And it's like, wow. But it has made the sport safer. We're not seeing as many big high sides and things like that as we did. But what it also does, G Dub, is it brings the competition closer. That's what everybody hates about going to super speedways and NASCARs because of the restrictor plates. Restrictor plate racing, everybody hates because I'm talking competitors because it makes everybody get closer together and the big crashes obviously start to happen. It ain't no different. You're going to start to see, you see a lot of guys closer together. Passes are a lot harder. Passes become a lot closer. Guys can make contact and that's the way it is. Now, the people that write the rules know that. That's why I think some of the penalties are kind of funny because it just has gotten to the point where it makes it a little bit more difficult. That said, I thought Aragon was a great race. I thought it was fun to watch. Uh, there was a lot of intriguing points. It goes to show you how well KTM can do race pace. They kind of remind me of the Suzuki now that couldn't do very well in qualifying. But if they can get up front closer, Miller got a good look at that bike he's going to be riding on next year, didn't he? I mean, he got he got a lot of laps he did. behind Bender. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting next year um, how things continue to plan out. But, but I didn't think that Marquez I, was being too aggressive. I think he was trying to gain – Greg, when is the best time in a race to, to gain the most positions? Right at the beginning. I mean, yeah, you've got that's right. to. That's exactly 100%. right. 100%. Yep. Yep. Because you know who's going to be tentative, who's not. And, you know, Miller had, an, had a really good aggressive start and was right up there. And then yep. he just kind of slipped and then kind of held his position. You know, right. I – for, for Miller to finish seven seconds behind the leader, I thought he was going to be way further back the way people were carving him up right there. Like, I don't know, what was it? Maybe well, he one had that, distance? He had that one lap, didn't he? Where like, it's yeah. like one guy would go underneath him, it would put him a little out of position, and another guy would take advantage of it. And it was just like, he couldn't kind of fight his way back in there. And then once he got to where he was comfortable again, he was fine. Yeah. Yeah, and GP Fantasy, man, I had a chance. I mean, I can change for, for, for Bastianini anytime. And the last two races, I keep forgetting to do it. I have Vinales. It's killing me. I gotta get I gotta get the beast back on my my deal. Well, now, Jay, one of the things yeah. I one of the things I didn't mention when we mm-hmm. look at Moto Two and Moto Three, as we go to Moto Two, uh, you can you can call out those results in a second, is um I'm trying to figure out if I have the release here. So they are actually reducing the the laps for Moto Two and Moto Three next, for like next moving year? forward. Ah, yeah. So, okay. so okay. here's the way it is. Okay. So let's see. Um, jump starts, uh, sprint races. So the sprint races, by the way, for Moto GP sprint races on Saturday, they're going to be fifty percent of the Grand Prix distance, an uneven number. They'll be rounded down, right? So if it was like a fifteen lap race. 
you can't have seven and a half laps. So it'll be rounded down to seven. The points are going to be similar to the points that they pay uh, in um, Super Bowl races in World Superbike, which is 12 for a win, nine, seven, six, oh, five, four, three, okay. two, one type of a situation. Yep. Yep. What is interesting, though, is that Moto 2 and Moto 3, they're going to be reduced in time. So let's see. Um, Practice sessions. Race distance for both classes will be shortened. To bring Moto 2 and Moto 3 in line with other competitions on similar machinery, it has been agreed to target new approximate race durations of 36 minutes for Moto 2 and 34 minutes for Moto 3. They're hmm. right now at about the same time that a Moto GP race is around 43 minutes. Yeah. So dramatically reduced. And that's going to be interesting. In addition to go back, sorry to jump back and forth, everybody, to go back to the sprint races. The one thing that is key is they're going to limit Moto GP bikes to 12 liters of fuel. And I believe they're on 21 liters for, for uh, the full race distance. For the full now. race. So yeah. So you can't, but everything else is kind of the same. You know what I mean? The start procedures, everything else is going to be remaining It's going to be interesting same. to see if the lap times, if they're a lot faster. Mm-hmm. You well, know, the I, bikes I are going to be see. lighter. The bikes are going to be lighter. It'll be interesting to see what tires they use. There, there's going to be a lot of things, right? That's the biggest thing for me is the tire situation. Yeah. Because, you know, if you start to try to make a softer tire work in, let's just say it's a 24-lap race and you're going to have a 12-lap sprint race, yep. if that tire... Do you now have to set the bike up for a different tire for each? You know, you have two bikes, right? So I don't know. It's the strategy. Everybody's thinking about it. I'm sure they're going to start trying a bunch of stuff. You're going to see testing. There will definitely be tests that are going to be run differently because I think you're going to. It all depends if the points count towards the championship. The initial uh, the initial thing was is that these points work on account towards the championship. Mm. So then how much do you put into it? But they're going to pay points. But is it going to be a sprint championship? And a Moto GP World Championship. Like I don't know. We need some clarification on all that stuff. And and, and you it's know, gonna be interesting. Out. But anyway, all that stuff's yeah. gonna be interesting. Yeah. I think when you look at the Moto GP race, G Dub, couple talking points for me. Obviously, the first two we talked about. I thought Alesh did a great job ending up third. Bender fourth, I thought, was a great ride. And it kind of goes to show though that the KTM right now has got a couple tracks where it's really good, a couple tracks where it might not be. Because the next closest guy was Oliveira. Oliveira was about, let's say, 10, 11 seconds behind his teammate. I think other good rides, and I don't think that we can understate this. I was actually really impressed. Cal Crutchlow, dude, he did great. Like, Cal coming back, finishes 20 seconds off the win. And not only did he finish 20 seconds off the win, he was 10 seconds up the road from Morbidelli. I do not know what's going on there. I don't even know why Morbidelli would want to continue to ride where he's at because, obviously, he cannot find something comfortable for him. Um, Crutchlow for the majority of that race was 11th. Now I know there were some incidents. I get it at the beginning with Quattararo and then obviously with Nakagami that probably split the field up and, 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 and that kind of thing. <clears throat> but when you look at what Crutchlow did, I, I don't remember the last race he did this year. I know he did one at the beginning or a couple at the beginning and then he was out, but I thought he did a really good job to get points. Um, he, he finished, what did he finish? 1.3 behind Maverick Vinales, who had to come from the rear also. He wasn't that far off Alex Marquez. Both these guys kind of went by him um, early on. But you look at like a guy like Marco Bedzecki. He ended up 10th. He was only four seconds up the road. That's it. Mm -hmm. He was four seconds up the road. So I thought Crutchlow did well. And, man, do you think Paul Espargo can get out of that Repsol 
garage quick enough right now, finishing 15th and crashing another couple times this weekend and just zero confidence. Wasn't he the top Honda too in 15th? It's unreal. Like yeah. it's unreal. No, it's- and I don't know, like, again, the DiGiantonio thing trips me out. I, I don't know, like one weekend, I mean, the kid got a pole position this year and then he was 19th in this race. Now, you and I not being there, G-Dub, it's a lot harder for us to make comments because we don't know what was going on. We don't know if if maybe he lost a wing or two or something in any kind of on con, you know, we don't know. So, but it just seems very strange to me. I think it's really, really strange that Remy Gardner got one year on quite possibly the worst bike and he's out. Did you see the meme of Augusto Fernandez? There was an Augusto Fernandez meme (laughs) that said, it said, we'd like to welcome Augusto Fernandez to the 2024 world Superbike teams. Like, it, I'm like, like congratulations on your 2024 World Superbike ride or something like that. Yeah, like, I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, KTM has made some big jumps in just year to year. There could be a big jump again this year. There could be a big jump. You know, well, their motor be. is not that. Their motor is not that bad. So if they Doesn't can make Garner deserve more than one year. Yeah, of course he does. But and I know that know, there's going to be some behind the scenes action there that happened. You could see that he brought some stuff out about, you know apologizing well, yeah. for what his dad says and all that crap <laughs> mini bike dad stuff yeah. that we've talked about which to me is is it is what it is but there's got to be more to it and the fact that the kid just is exiled out it just seems a little weird but that's to moto gp's gain so or to world Superbike's gain so i look forward to seeing remy on uh on a yamaha he's basically got one of the rides that garrett has girloff has yeah. he's going to world yeah. Superbike. if you yeah. that wasn't part of the news that's my bad but I thought yeah, you did last I think week, it, though. I thought you did it last oh, week. Was it, was it last week? Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be really cool because uh, I think for the way that Remy rode Moto2, I think that he ri- likes to ride a little bit loose, and I think that the Pirellis are going to be a good feeling for him. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think it'll be this, pretty good. I think it's going to be great. Moto2 race, dude. Pedro Acosta goes off and wins and caught these guys mm-hmm. from a little bit far back. Augusto Fernandez looked like he was going to just take the, the, the victory in his own right. He set pole position and Kind of took off to an early lead, and then there was a battle between Acosta and Kanet and your boy Agura. They were all going back and forth. And at the end, Acosta pulls away by almost three seconds and beats Aaron Kanet over Augusto Fernandez third. Agura fourth, Arbelino Aldegar, Chantra Navarro, and Joe Roberts. I thought Joe rode really well. He ended up ninth. He was kind of there for a while in that lead group. But then he had a really lonely race, Greg. He was six seconds behind eighth and he was five seconds ahead of Viette who just barely held off Cameron Bobier for 10th and 11th there. I think um, when you look at Cam, I, Greg, you know, the lap time that he did, I think it was a minute 52.4 he did in qualifying one. He led through qualifying one to Cameron and then couldn't get close to that time in qualifying two. And it kind of goes to show how key that, that, that draft or that toe was that he got in the first one. He ended up, uh, you know, finishing 11th. But Joe ends up ninth again, which I thought, you know, championship wise, it kind of keeps, it kind of keeps Joe, you know, in the in the spot that he's in. I'm just trying to pull those up for you right now. Um, They're not pulling up actually for me either. Like I got it. I, like, yeah, oh, I was there having it is. trouble yeah. with it too. So he's seventh right now. Um, he's only a couple points out of fifth. So I still think that top five is reachable for Joe in this deal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's really become a two horse race between Fernandez and Agura. And Agura going to his home Grand Prix in Japan this week. I'm sure he's going to be pretty highly motivated to get there. And I don't know when Kanet's going to win one of these, but he deserves one. 
<laughs> I don't know. It's. Yeah. I mean, I think if the championship, I don't know. If the championship comes down to the last round and Fernandez and Agura are kind of battling in their own battle, I think it would give Kinnett an opportunity, but hopefully he'll, he'll win one. Uh, yeah, you got to think that Ayagura is kind of going to Japan with a lot of motivation. You know, it, you look at Taka, you look at Nakagami, and Nakagami is a very European Japanese guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like he spent a lot of time in Europe and everything else. I is still full blown. You know, like he he's worked for Rai. I don't know if he's still working for Rai, but I mean, he worked for Rai up until last year at least. You know, yeah, and, and yeah, as a job and and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so. Yeah, I can't wait to see how this championship plays itself out. The race was so-so. But, Jay, Moto3, before we even got into Moto3 race, there was uh, some controversy before we got there in qualifying, wasn't there? Unreal. Like, like, it looked like Fernandez was trying to leave his pit box. And I don't know what was going on, but the... What is it? Sarah Gawther team, wasn't it? Wasn't it Biagi's team? Yeah, it was Max Max Biagi's team. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the Max whatever... For whatever reason, they decided they were going to try to stop him from going out, maybe getting a tow or whatever it was. But for Adrian Fernandez, he goes to roll out of pit lane. If you, you can look it up, and the the team right next to him, like pulled on his brake lever, stopped him from going. Two crew member or banned. They got a two thousand euro. I think they got a two thousand euro fine each, and then they're banned from the last two races. What's really weird, G Dub, mm-hmm. is. Why would they ban them from Malaysia and they ban them from Malaysia and Australia, but they don't ban them from Japan? So the reason for that is, is because these are three races back to back and for safety, literally for rider safety reasons with, if you look at getting visas and getting, you know, like all the things that you need to, to travel, there was not enough time and you know, they need these mechanics. So, and and that was actually brought out. Uh, in the statement that uh, Dorna or the FIM released about this situation. So, and I, and I, I totally get it. You know, there's a lot more factors at play than just, it's not like here where you just kick somebody out and, you know, whatever. They can't go to Alabama, but they live in California. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot different when you're getting on an airplane and you're flying. So that's why they penalized them. But, I mean, I would definitely keep an eye on those two guys. I mean, what are you doing, man? That was just, it, it was the, just the weirdest deal, especially in a sport that now has cameras everywhere. I mean, <laughs> You're not getting away with crap like that. Can you imagine so... if they had done something like that to like a Stamboli rider or who else do we know that could get a little like oh like 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 if if someone tried Carl to pull a lever on Maladin on Maladin's, Maladin's crew, can you imagine Maladin? The Australian, the Australian, the Australian oh. yeah. <laughs> those guys would have two thousand euro Doyle fines. The they'd have two thousand oh. euro fines. They'd be banned from races and they'd have no teeth left. That would be the that would be what would happen there. So yeah crazy right yeah totally i mean absolutely positively nuts so but anyway yeah, so, so anyways moto three was was good again and guevara now has got a huge points lead i think it's up to 33 points um after that i'm just looking it up as well greg 29 yeah he's got um yeah he's got 33 point 33 point lead now over his teammate garcia who was just nowhere Fazio, who was just nowhere sasaki rode great he ended up second in the race obviously but it's really strange the inconsistency that Dennis Foggia has had this year. He was without without question, I think, one of my favorites for the championship. I thought he would probably be the guy, even though I picked Sergio Garcia to win the championship. But Foggia, man, it's so weird, G-Dub. One weekend he's he's winning these tight races. The next weekend he's 12th or whatever he was this week. He was so far back. I mean, the, the Moto3 pack can be so big, right, that yeah. – 
it feels like you just need a bit of consistency to win this championship. It's yeah. it's in a weird way, but it's hard. Don't you man. feel that? Don't you feel that Moto Three is a little bit more rider than it is crew at times, right? Meaning, like you know, you, you just oh, yeah. have to get a you have to get a good setup, not a perfect setup like you do in GP. It's it just kind of feels like that in a way. So I, it, it's just a weirdest. I don't know how to explain it. It's the weirdest thing when you look at this and you think. It's a little bit more rider induced than it is crew induced when you look at Moto Three and the inconsistencies that these riders can have. Do you think I'm off base on that? No, I don't think you are. I think that it still requires. I mean, for for you have to. I mean, yeah, it, it's the bikes just they look very very hard to ride in the sense that to ride them at that pace. And the thing is, is you're always in with people. Like if you see guys getting away, like those first three guys got away: Halgado, Sasaki. And obviously Guevara got away. They could kind of they could kind of determine their race. The group behind was like seven, eight, nine deep. And if you saw McPhee, he absolutely got used up on one lap. He went from like fourth or fifth back to twelfth. And the commentator's like, oh yeah, he's definitely got a problem. And I'm thinking, he just got roughed up because six laps later, he had fought his way through. Or eight laps later, ten laps later, he had fought his way back through the front of that group. So it it's just track position is so key. Um, consistency, like you say, G-Dub, I think is, is obviously a big, big key in this. And, um, but yeah, when you, when you look at it, I just think, I I don't know necessarily other than it toughing you, making you a lot tougher as a racer. Um, I think that as you move forward, because there's been a lot of guys from Moto3 that were unbelievable that that are in Moto2 now that you don't even hear about. Like De La Porta is one of them. He won the world championship and he's really done nothing in two years in Moto2. So setup and understanding how to get a bike set up is super important. But as you get on bigger bikes, that becomes more difficult, right? Yeah, it definitely so, does. Yeah. Well, anyway, looking but, ahead uh, to Japan, Jay, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I mean, in terms of MotoGP, it's going to be important for Quadraro to score points and try to get close to the front. It's going should be a better track for you. I mean, can't really say, I mean, every rider was talking to MotoGP how Quart was really fast. They are, they all thought he was going to be podium contender, even with the deficit of, of the motor that the Yamaha has. So looking, looking forward to that. I mean, I think Moto3, Moto2, they're kind of crapshoots at this point. What's Fernandez going to do is, you know, it, I don't know. It, it just seems like it's, it's, it's kind of unpredictable now in, in terms Very. of those two classes on who's going to be consistent. I mean, obviously, Ethan Guevara seems to be head and shoulders right now right now above everybody else but who knows what's going to happen in japan and with we still got five races to go and but that's where guevara has been great he's not allowed himself to get those 12s and 13s and get shuffled to the back he's ran up front everywhere he's gone and for garcia and Faggio to be off form that much this week has given him a little bit more of a of a you know um a lead i think going into moto gp on the race weekend in japan again you're going to be looking at um you're going to be looking at you know what can the ducatis do at this place uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how the whole thing plays itself out. All right. Well, that's MotoGP. And now we're going to transition into, well, welcoming a guest on a guy who comes off of tying Miguel Duhamel's all time AMA Superbike Series wins in all classes. He's won seven national championships, four of them being in Superbike. Please welcome Josh Hayes to the Jason Pridmore podcast with co-host Greg White. Hi, Josh. How are you, buddy? Uh, thanks for having me. First oh, time. dude, it's good to have you on the tenth time that we've been. This First is time. episode one hundred and ninety. I know. So, you hey, know. I've listened to like three of these things. 
Yeah, that, that sounds about right. That's exactly. <laughs> Not like you're spending all this time driving around the country, exploring the world in your little thing with the wife and the couple of kids and the, you got, the, well, I, mean, I don't if, even know. If it was Jason talking about racing, it'd be more um, palatable. <laughs> Lovely. Rather than listening to Greg and his old history stories, right? I, I feel you, Josh. I got to listen to it every week. Don't get him started. Back in 1995. It easy, okay? 96 got, was the banner year. 95 was the Avon years. The all right? banner, the banner year. That was the banner year. <laughs> I got some stories like that. Yeah, I'm sure you do have some stories. I mean, well, I um, mean, hey, dude, Greg White but, beat me to pro racing from amateur racing, so can't, can't Jeff, say too Justin, much. Jeff White, can teach you, Jeff White can teach you lines around Jersey, too. So oh, is well, that I mean, why? I did is ask that for why? some help at Pittsburgh, I think, right? That is that pit race. Asked, oh, yeah, he I still talks about that. Oh yeah, that's like that's literally on Jeff White's resume. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I own this company, Rock Solid Construction. And uh, Josh Hayes asked me for line around I consult, Pittsburgh. I consult yeah. with Josh Hayes. You know what I mean? I, could, I listen. I, I could text Steve Crevier right now. I know Crevier's number. I'm like, Jeff, what are you talking about, man? That lunatic. Anyway, are we talking Josh, about Greg White's brother? Yeah, talking about Greg White's okay. brother exactly. Okay, Eighty six career wins, dude. Eighty six. I mean, unbelievable. How do you feel about that right now? <laughs> Man, I I I don't know. I never could have imagined or dreamed it ever coming around this way. Honestly, like you guys were there for the early parts. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and I, I like I graduated high school having owned a street bike for three months and I didn't know I would ever make a living as a racer, like, or dream that I would make a living as a racer. So, I mean, I'm thankful for every bit of it. And, uh, I can't believe that after all these years, I mean, I, I've won in four decades as embarrassing as that is. I won in the nineties, the two thousands, 2010s, and now in the 2020s. So it's, um, like I'm starting to sound like a Jason Pridmore story. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't win that much. So no, it's just not, it can't I'm be the, the case part. I'm Got the it. Decades part. Sorry. You're only five years behind. <laughs> only five. Hey, that's right. Your first street bike was a carbureted bike and then you went to fuel injection eventually, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I did quite a few years of carbureted stuff. Didn't I wait. Remember. When you raced formula extreme, didn't you race like a 16 and a half inch front wheel or something crazy like that? Well, like, well, everybody was on 16 fives until the DMG era, I think. Right. No, <laughs> no, that's yeah. not. Yeah. Formula they? extreme on 600s. I was on 16 five stuff. Yeah. The 17s were uh, just starting that's... to come during that time. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Of course you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's I, what Dumb Mop said. Forget it. We're going all my, 17. <laughs> I remember my first set of tire warmers, I think, in 1998. I can tell you a story from 99, but I won't get in there. These about kids not don't know about not warmers. riding without tire warmers, Josh. Yeah, they don't they know. Don't remember they don't know. Days. Yeah, they don't remember. <laughs> Turn three at Laguna. Anyway, dude, it's really good to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So let's let's talk about uh, when you stopped racing full time because I know that word the R word is 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 a taboo word with you. Retirement is not a word you want to hear. Uh, so let's talk about when you stopped racing full time a couple of years ago. What year was it? And and when you did step away from racing full time, did you ever think that where you're sitting right now in terms of all times wins was even possible? So yeah, my last year was 17. It was probably the worst season I had had in 15 years. And, um, just all my own doing, quite honestly, I just came apart because I knew my future and I didn't like it. And, uh, I felt, you know, a little powerless to stop it, but 
Then in 18, you know, the idea was I would get to do some testing, be a fill in if somebody got hurt or something. And it never really worked out the way it was supposed to. And so I really didn't do a whole lot until Melissa and I decided to do Daytona in 2019. And so we showed up there. We did okay. Ended up fourth um, with a, what, four or five lap restart at the end of the race. And we had this 600 that was all prepped and ready to go. And we had a couple people talking about wanting to do kind of a rent a ride program and it didn't come together. And a few people had enjoyed seeing me ride. So in 19, we had some people who just kind of kept us going. And I got to ride quite a few super sport races in 19. And I had, I had done absolutely nothing for a year. Uh, our son was a year old and we were tired all the time and, uh, doing all the traveling and all the stuff. And, um, that year, I think I got on the podium at the first one at Virginia, struggled a little after that. And I mean, Hayden Gillum, Bobby, PJ, like those guys in super sport were just on it. And I was, I, I could do some fast laps from time to time, but I wasn't quite there and I wasn't able to put race distance together. And I got some other opportunities around that time. I got to go to Australia and ride on the classic bikes and you know, came back around Daytona the next year and I was much better prepared, had a better, a, bit, a good run at it again. And then everything kind of went away again for a while until we got the call about the squid hunter program for, for Daytona this year. And we had so much fun and things were going well. And I spent the whole off season kind of working with Corey Ventura, who was staying at our house and getting him physically ready to go. And, uh, so yeah, Everything has kind of played into a better role this year where we've been fighting hard and been able to stay more fit, even though I'm a truck driver between races, and um, <laughs> be competitive somewhat, you know, and having a ton of fun. I'm in a better place than I was back then, and um, I go into the races feeling strong, and right now when I look at the field and watch the races from the side, you know, I watched a lot of races this year from the side, also coaching, and I would watch what was happening with lap times and things like that, and I said, if I just show up ready to do race distance hard, I know I can make it hard for those guys. You know, it's funny because it's, I watched, you know, a lot of your Instagram stuff with Corey at the beginning of the year. And it's, I think Josh, especially I've been saying for a long time, I think nowadays the bikes are much easier to ride than they were even at the time when you started, obviously way, way easier. One of the things I say on the telecast a lot is the motivation to keep pushing. And I think that, it really helps when you're working with a young guy training during the off season, it kind of makes you reflect back to all the hard work you put in before. And you've always had the motivation to ride. That's the one thing I think about you. That's you and I've talked about a million times. I don't think it was that hard of a transition for you to start to put the wheels in motion to get some stuff together for, for this year. No, I mean, I, I lived for this lifestyle for, for so long. Right. And yep. once I was presented an opportunity to ride for somebody that wasn't me and Melissa, and this isn't fair to Melissa, but the minute I felt like I had a job to do, um, I want to give them what, they, dare I say, give them what they pay for. Right. Like, yeah, I want to, I want to show up prepared. If they're going to put in the work to bring a good bike for me, I want to do it, put in the work and show up the Josh Hayes that we all hope I can be. Right. So, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I relished the opportunity and it gave me a chance to say to Melissa, like, look, I gotta, I gotta put in a little work. I gotta take this seriously. They're putting in an effort and I want to do the same and start feeling a little bit like that guy 
a few years back, you know, and there are pieces of it that are there. And then the, the other thing is just having a calm head. You know, I don't, my, my career and my life aren't on the line when I go out there. And I, I've seen how this thing plays out over the long term. And I, like, like I said, I, I know how many things can happen and I'm working with all these guys. I hear what they say about their racing and, and what they think is going on on the motorcycle. And sometimes I think, these guys are smart enough to know that nobody can be on the bike for them or with them. And so what they say, we kind of can't argue. I mean, you know, if I come in and I go, Hey man, I had a hop in the front tire. Who can, re who can refute that? No one. There's no amount of spinning it you can do. There's nothing. We don't know. There might be something there. Right. And when I'm trying to tell these guys, if you want to win, I don't care. I don't care about that. I just don't want to lose. That's it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to think about something because we've been watching you this year kind of chasing chasing Miguel's records down. And, you know, you and I have a bit of a history together. I was trying to think of the first – what was the 750 Supersport win at Daytona that you had for Valvoline? Uh, 1999. That? 1999. It was my it was first – I did do yep. one or two pro races before that, just kind of dipping my feet in the water. 99 was my first year as a full-time Pro yep. and I had moved up with John Orch's team, and um, I was actually filling in for Ryan Landers for that race, who had gotten injured at That's Homestead. Right. And I there was no intention of me riding 750 for the season. And and I like I laugh because we talk about it now, and I'm like, I for the first four races of 1999, I rode three classes. I rode Formula Extreme, 600 Super Sport, 750 Super Sport, all on different motorcycles, and I was riding with a brace on my left wrist because I had. I had to keep my wrist stationary for six months because I'd broken a scaphoid. And so I had this yeah. like brace on it and Good stuff. Times. And it, it was just like, you know, even now I argue often that the kids need more experience. And when we rode different motorcycles, we learned so much on one that might carry over and be a tool we might use in another bike in some other area of the racetrack. We got to double down on experience in a big way. And now everybody's become so specialized in their bike because their bike races twice a weekend. I, I wish we could see more guys out there doing double duty because I know it's hard, but there's a big payoff to it in the long term. All right. So Josh, we're going to get back to you in a second, but let's get back. Let's, let's talk about me a little bit because you and I, we shared a hotel room in 1996. Quite often we were racing together in the Weir National Challenge Series. I, however, was a yellow plate. You were a white plate. You were riding for Valvoline Ulrich's team. We were both doing endurance. Let, let, can you please tell Jason Pridmore and the rest of the people out there who constantly poop on me? Just how fast I was in 1996, Greg. You, or, Greg, Jason, you needed to be there to see. <laughs> no, I didn't. The top <laughs> level of Greg White battling with this guy, Luke Yarborough, week in and week out. Luke Yarborough, he, yeah, that's right. That's right. He was using up his uh, travel funds from Xerox, <laughs> traveling all over the country, setting up meetings <laughs> so that he could go to war. You know, at novice pace and wear nationals. <laughs> On his Avon tires? No, Avon's, Avon's, were, tires? Avon's was 95, man. By this time, <laughs> I had enough budget to afford one set of Dunlops a weekend. Yeah, yeah. He graduated. Yeah. At yeah. Dunlop D364s at $345 a pop, man. That was <laughs> oof. rough times. Remember, you turn those things around, man. If you go to the right side track. I remember yeah. them. Anyway. Me let me tell you no, right Jackson now, Hayes and, I, Hayes and I never turned them around. Let me just tell you that right now. <laughs> oh, I might I have. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back then, back then for sure. 
For sure. Uh, all right, Josh, let's get back to you, obviously. All right, let's talk about... Um, so so we got good information about w- what's, you know, let's talk about the last race weekend. I mean, you did the double. It's your first Moto America double in super sport, <laughs> right? Like, I don't even know how uh, yeah, to even express I mean, these records. So it had to be, I, I don't, I, I can tell you, I never, um, I never thought I would get to double a national again. You know, like I never yeah, thought I'd no double kidding. a national level ever again, much less win a race. So I, um, I'm thankful for the opportunity, you know, the squid hunter guys for the, for the group of people that they are and how green they are to this. I am astounded every time we show up at how well prepared, how much they listen and they, they just get the job done and everything's ready to go. So I just go out there and get to work and have a ton of fun. And I feel lucky because even in the beginning, I got to have a say kind of in the technical side, Melissa and I got to have a say in the technical side of where, what direction they would go with the bike. And so it feels like my bike that I rode before. It feels like home. And, um, man, like I, I think it was pretty apparent from like session one at New Jersey, right? Like I was there. So, Joshua, one of the things that got me thinking really hard about, uh, you know, when we were at Jersey watching the race, uh, and I got questions about the race as well, but um, between 99 when you won at Daytona and 2002, I believe, when you and I were teammates, you didn't win much after after that Daytona win, did you? Did you win any more after that? No, I went on a long dry spell till 2003, actually, when we were teammates. I, I got that first one. And I had a couple really close ones in Formula Extreme. I think a really good friend of mine rode with a co- broken collarbone and then red flagged it, crashing and breaking his leg. <laughs> yeah. And um, an I had this big lead, and they actually brought the race over to the next day, uh, and I ended up losing it. So that would have been my next one, probably. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> then it went to low three at Laguna Seca, which was probably my worst racetrack. Yeah. Well, it's funny because Greg and I were just talking about that. And when I've thought about this 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 record that you're doing, what's amazing is you went four years without winning. And then even when we were teammates, I, I was telling Greg, yeah. I, I remember where I was, what I was doing, and who I was speaking to during that 750 Supersport race at Laguna Seca when you were battling with Tommy Hayden, who at that time, I believe, was on the factory Cowie. He was on a you know factory 600 Kawasaki. And... Or 636. 636. Yeah, 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 that's when they were racing both that year. I remember. And I remember I was literally on pit. Dude, he won Daytona on that, on bike, that thing. I know. <laughs> yep. And, and I was talking with Mel Harris. We were going, we were kind of walking up and down pit, pit lane, actually like right in the middle of pit lane, watching that race with you and Tommy. And he's like, Jay, do you think he could do it? And, you know, obviously what was funny is you'd come close sometimes that year. And during that 2003 season, I kind of remember you being close in a couple races where, ah, then whatever, whatever reason we're ended up second or third, but this, this record could have been out of reach a long, long time ago with a little bit of luck for those in between those. I, I know those four years are what are, what kind of made you who you are now, as far as, um, they were strengthening your career, but we were close a lot before that next win in 03. So that was like a four year window of dry. Yeah, no, for sure. And then, and then there's quite a few, you know, I, I think I might have the record for the guy who's having to give the most first place trophies away to other people <laughs> during the DMG era. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know you're, you're at 86, really you're at 86 and a half wins at least, right, Josh? 
Maybe 87 and a half? 96, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I gave a couple of those away, Joshy. I'm with you. Yeah. Like, I I mean, I I don't know how many jump starts I had in 13 where I crossed the finish line first, did the podium, did the press conference, and then they took it away from me. (laughs) I remember that, man. That was that was crazy. And that's that's the year too. Josh Heron doesn't like to Josh Heron's credit. He actually is just like, well, I don't really talk about it that much because I don't really feel like I won that championship in 2013 because there was right all that right controversy. Time. He was there. Yeah, I mean, if you were if you sneezed and he you had there. the you had the brakes on and the clutch in, you were getting a jump start penalty that year, right? That was so like bad. It was, <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I remember being there. <laughs> anyway, Josh, got, let's talk. I think let, I got a couple for putting it in gear. Let's, I mean, you know, it's, I don't really like asking this question, but it's a question that a lot of people like to have answered. Let's talk about some memorable ones that you remember. I mean, most of the time, you know, you talk to old racers, they're going to mention the race, you know, where they won a championship, whatever. But do you have any races that stick out in your mind where you think back to it, man, that was a fun race. It was a close battle. Even if it's a one where you didn't win, but you, you know what I mean? But you're real close. Are there a couple that are in your storytelling bag that you break out every now Um, and then? Yeah. There's a there's a few pretty special ones. I I think back to uh, my season in 2006 quite a bit, um, racing Formula Extreme and going up against what would become my team later at the factory Yamaha team when they were doing it. And it was against me, you know, Aaron Gobert were on Arian against uh, Jason DeSalvo and Eric Bostrom on the Yamahas. And you know, I I had one where I won one at. Um, at Miller, the first year we ever went to Miller, that was a pretty big deal for me. Um, and then Road America, I got second to Eric, but I think we broke the track record, you know, for the 600s like three times during that race. And I pushed him all the way to the flag, and and we were like not far off of the times we had done. Jason and I had done on Formula Big Formula Extreme bikes a couple of years before. We were like within a second of that, and. Um, and then the last race in Ohio when I won that championship was probably, I would say, probably one of the best races of my life. It was just clean. Um, I had never been more motivated or ready to go racing, and I put it all together, and it was just like as close to the perfect races I've ever ridden. Um, on super bikes, there were quite a few um, pretty special ones, uh, more just eventful, you know, like, but... 2012 was a pretty special season where I won the 16 out of 20. I think I'd come out of Daytona with two zeros that year and uh, was really motivated and just probably the sharpest I ever was in my career. And I had some pretty special race wins during that season. Um, I remember talking to Bobier about it one time. Like I, I, if I remember, I crossed the, like from the start at road America, I crossed the finish line with like a two and a half second gap on lap one or something, you know, those were some memorable things. I had some good battles with Blake young, um, that went down to the wire that I remember, I remember I lost several of them, but I rode well in so many of those too. You know, there's, there's so many things like that. Uh, winning this, my first superbike championship at Barber. I remember it being in the rain and, uh, there was like two years in a row, that uh, Brett McCormick like caused a red flag in the last race and drama for me. You know, I, I was leading one at, at New Jersey and then we had to restart. And I think when we started the last lap of the race, I was in P six or something like that and ended up second. Um, another one, he, 
he, at Barber, he high-sided after passing me in the Gosh. rain and ran me off in the grass on rain tires. Like, you know, there's like, it's funny. Um, I tell people all the time, every time Jason and I get together and we start telling all these stories, you know what I mean? It's like the more we talk about, the more we remember. And I, I think, man, there's some really good stories that Jason and I could sit down and tell and, you know, stuff like that. And so, well, yeah, yeah, for me, man, I, yeah. I have so many, it's hard to narrow them down. I have some great memories of a lot of cool stuff. For me, Josh, you know, it's funny because I really am shocked this is the first time you're on the show. Greg's an idiot for not inviting you sooner. But um, <laughs> yeah, my fault. The thing is, is that is that early on in your career, um, I felt like I was almost a little bit invested in it in the sense, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be in a great position with Suzuki and and um they they actually were they were trusting in in certain things that I didn't said and I remember your first win in Superbike at Sonoma I believe it was am I correct on that yeah 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 and I remember sitting in the watching that race and I was so pumped and it was it wasn't like if you know I don't want to I don't want to say it was like if I was winning but it was it was neat to see somebody because I knew you were putting in the work I knew you were working really hard and um watching you win I believe it. Was it a 600 super sport race on Arion or was it the, it was, I believe it was a 600 super sport race at Sonoma. You won too, wasn't it for Arion? I won quite a few there on the FX bike and stuff. Might've like been that FX in, in the three years prior. Yeah. Cause you and I actually worked on a couple little things. Cause the, the good thing about yeah. you is we always throw things back and forth at each other when it re regards to writing. And we were always like super, uh, we were very both. I think both interested in what the other person thought a lot. I, at least I was with you, and um, yeah. And so there were things that I remember watching and seeing you win on the Honda at Sonoma, and then I remember your Superbike race, and it was almost like for me, it was like it was like a full circle moment. Like it was great to see you get that first win. And boy, we didn't, you know, I knew that you were going to go on and win a lot. I never realized it was going to get as many as it was, though. No, I appreciate that, and like there was a lot of this. People forget that there was a decade of me beating my head against the wall, just trying to get the shot, mm -hmm. you know? And then when I did at Yamaha, honestly, after three races, I remember sitting in that tractor trailer and crying and thinking my career's over because yeah. Ben was doing pretty decent on it and I had no understanding of the bike. And I'm, I'm fortunate that there were a few things that happened. Like I wasn't afraid to fail. So I said, Hey, hey Jim, I want to try something different. And we tried to turn my bike into a super stock bike and start over. Mm -hmm. So I got to go through the development of process and then in, in the process of development, excuse me. And in that I learned enough that once I learned it, it was there for good. And by the end of the season, I was getting pretty hard to beat. Yeah. And in the beginning I was racing for eighth and I thought I was going to crash. And I'm like, well, I got my shot and I blew it. You know, you know, the conditions for your last win to tie the record, I, I thought were the most perfect kind of conditions for an experienced guy who's been around and seen a lot of different things in his career. And it was about managing your pace, getting, getting to the front, managing your pace and the conditions. And, um, I thought Moto America did a really nice job with not red flagging the race too soon because I didn't think it was raining that hard because you were only going two and a half, three seconds off what your fastest was. When other people were coming down the straightaway, multiple people were trying to get the race stopped. It would have been really easy for you to put your hand up and, and get an easy win, but you just managed the pace. Well, first I would say this, like we don't, we don't have to wait till people crash exactly. to decide that it's too dangerous to ride, but it is an indicator that 
it was not dangerous conditions, right? And I thought that they, we had been given the opportunity to see the track under these conditions, or I would have put my hand up just as, just as much as anybody else, but I had ridden the exact conditions in the morning warm up. And so I knew what to expect. It actually even rained in the exact same part of the racetrack and it was dry on the other half of the racetrack, just like it was in the morning warm up. And so I knew exactly what I was getting into and what to expect. And I was watching my screen carefully. I don't know if they ever caught it, but a couple of times I'd look up over the windscreen and turn my head to the side to clear the screen so that I could just see how much rain was falling. I would be looking in through the windscreen to see how much was hitting that. And it played out exactly like it had in the morning warm-up. So I was prepared for it because I had spent the time on the racetrack. And the minute I had my very first slip, the, the red flag came out. So for me, it was the perfect scenario. Yeah. I, I would have had my hand up that lap. What was it like when you finished seventh in MotoGP that time? I mean, I, I actually went over to Rocco after the morning warm-up and I said, this session right here is exactly why you know, I did as well as I did in that GP because this was early days of the flag to flag races. Right. And we knew it could happen. And, and hell, hell, I led the morning warm up because of stuff like this. I, we had ridden on a wet track in the morning warm up, and I came in and there was barely a dry line. If there was a dry line, you know, it was barely a dry line. And I asked the guys, I said, there's three, five minutes left. I said, can I go out on slicks? And they looked at me like I had a horn growing out of my head. And I go, I, man, I don't know what it's going to be like today. I need every lap I can get. And they said, okay. And I ended up leading the morning warm up. I remember that. I rode a GP bike six times in my life, six sessions in my life. I led one of the <laughs> sessions and I got seventh in the race. Um, now, granted, there was a lot of people tipped over and I had to survive. But it was these misting conditions and a lot of very experienced riders came back to me and I went by late in the race, you know, with this misting conditions kind of deal. And all I did was I, I you know, <laughs> anybody who raced against me, will tell you if, if it was, you know, if it was raining or misty or whatever, I was one of the first guys on track. Gotta be. Almost always. Right. I, I just took every opportunity to learn something of how I might deal or manage some of these situations in life. And they paid, they paid dividends well, because if I just went out and went through my normal routines Man, I, I set myself up for success. There you go. That's something a lot of people can learn from if they listen to our stuff. What do you think is going to happen in Supersport, Hayes? Barber, oh, man. This weekend. Well, I think uh, Barber plays into into uh, Rocco's hands to be pretty strong there. Um, I think that the, the biggest thing I have in my court is the hot conditions. You know, that racetrack is going to be abusive on tires on hot conditions over a long race. And at this point, when things start to go a little south, I just seem to care a little less than those guys and I hate losing. So I'll keep pushing and it's, it's worked for a long career and it's still working to this day. <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. Josh doing, doing, if he does double duty, he's gonna, he's gonna have a rough weekend <laughs> in that weather. Cause those, those sessions are back to back. So I would expect him to be strong in super sport, but he's going to go right back and he's going to know he's getting on a super bike immediately after. Look, I, right? I, so, I want to make a comment on it. I just, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see how Heron's going to ride that super bike. And the reason I say that is because the more I think about it, I just, they don't have enough resources to get it done, to get the job done. There's not enough, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 yep. I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we get there and there's no bike set up for him. 
because yeah, I, <laughs> like what like you're not going to go as fast as Jake Gagne or Cameron Peterson or whatever. As much as talented as he is, he's got almost no time on the bike. I mean, he tested it at pit, pit race some months ago. I just I don't see it happening to me. If you look at it, it just doesn't make any sense, and it's just an extreme waste of money. So I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, but even then, I mean, like you know, if anything, I have a lot of experience racing that guy at Barber, and I know he'll be fast, and I know he'll have his spots. Are you getting a superbike? Are you on a superbike? <laughs> or I mean, at this time, I haven't gotten the call. Oh, okay. No. All right. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready if they do. JP, are you but, on the uh, superbike? Did Stambouli call you? <laughs> I mean, you tested it just as much as Hayes did. Oh, yeah, that, that yeah. booth is air conditioned. Word. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Barber's booth is not. Eh. Remember, it's just yeah, a big it's glass. A, it's still, it's still yeah, going to be cooler yeah. than where Hayes yeah. will be. I promise. Yeah, that is true. I, it'll be eighty nine out there. It'll there. be eighty five in the booth. It's definitely cooler. I'll I'll be out there. I'll be ready for anything. Yeah, I'm ready to go the distance and have a nice long race. Um, like I said, I, I'm in a in a position of power because I don't have anything to prove. I'm just thankful for every shot I get. And if I can make something, if I can turn chicken shit into chicken salad, then, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> then I'm having a good damn day. Right. I, I'm lucky. I'm happy. And I, I mean, the fact that we're so close and the Squinter team and us, we're all having fun. It doesn't have to mean it's the last one, but we don't have to guarantee we're going to do a full season. We get to do, pick our stuff and have our fun. And, um, I'll keep doing what I'm doing as long as I can. Do you keep an eye on sportbiketrackyear.com junior cup at all? Um, I have started to watch a little more, uh, cause I'm doing a limited amount with max van, just talking with him and doing track walks and stuff. And, uh, you know, I think I got caught on camera working on his motorcycle during the red. A little spot. bit. Yeah, yeah, you did Jersey a little bit, but, um, <laughs> I yeah, told you and, he's and a crew I, chief. I, just, I told I you, I know, no, you told <laughs> I told you he's a crew chief. <laughs> I, I just went down there. It was a rough weekend for him to see how his head was and to say, Hey, listen, these are the times where you got to be more calm than you've ever been in your life. So, um, I was just going to make sure he was going to be okay. Now, Pridmore, I do have photos of Josh Hayes in a a Suzuki Valvoline shirt working on Mike Kawasaki during the grand national final in 1996. So he's been like that his whole career. All right, JP, since we have Hayes on the line. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> that's my daddy. Yeah, my right. Daddy did that. I got um, one. I, oh. Josh, I got one question, and I think there's a lot of us that want to know this answer. Is there any chance you do a full year again next year? Oh, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I think it's a long shot. Mm-hmm. Could it happen if the right people were motivated? Sure, we could see it happen. Yep. Um, but a lot of a lot of stars would have to align. I think. Yeah. But would you, would you be motivated to do it? Oh man, there's, no, there's okay. nobody out well, there, there who loves yeah. this. I think that, that I think yeah. that pretty much answers that. Or, question. I think the orgasm on our podcast actually is going to let right. people realize there's, that you that you're ready to go. There's nobody out there that loves this more than me. Yep. But I understand the business of racing. I understand the passion of racing there, and there are a lot of you know there are a lot of moving pieces to it that have to line up. And I don't know how to say. Just give me a chance because they're. But Josh, you've already done that. Like that's the hardest thing for me, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I think as you get older, it's really unfair that people just sort of go, "Well, he's forty-seven, he's forty-eight." Yeah, it's it's if you were right now, if you were twenty-four years old, and you're doing what you just did, you know that there'd be things lining up for you for next year. And to me, I really do believe it that that's the frustrating part. And 
I never talk about my stuff at all. But the last ra- last race I rode in World Endurance, uh, I rode the factory BMW. And the team was like, we want you back next year. And I was 44, 45 years old at that time. And at that point, they went with younger guys. And that's the thing that I think frustrates me because if you're motivated at 47 to go win and you have been winning, there should be nothing that should stop anybody from saying, let's try to get Josh, do what we can to make the stars align, as you would say, to make it happen for a year. Yeah, I think that, man, listen, for someone who's as passionate about riding as me, the last thing I want to talk about is money. Yeah, but yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, there there has to be a real talk here because as a as a you know even up till I was forty two years old, it was me and my wife. Yep, and that was it. You know what I mean? I had to be. I was a racer, and once in a while, I had to be a husband, maybe. Yep. And now <laughs> I have a lot of I, I have a lot of titles, and motorcycle racer is very low on the priority list now. Hundred percent. So I I, it, I cannot go and do this in good conscience because I know me and what I'm willing to put out there. Without at least some insurance for my family, I, I couldn't agree, Josh, <laughs> you know, you, I couldn't you agree with you more. Make enough money to afford good insurance. Well, so, Joshy, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, it's like that's it's, the stuff. It's like if somebody was to come up and and you you have to, Josh just based off of what you've done in your career. I mean, you have to have a number that's a minimum that you go do this thing because otherwise it really isn't worth it. Like you see. It's it's in and in fairness, it's probably a conversation you and I should have off the podcast. But it's one of the hardest things for me to go to even go do that Phillip Island thing. The reason I went yeah. is for the experience. Um, but there was a point where you look at yourself in the mirror at a certain age, and you go, you know, for me to go and do this, I know what I'm going to do when I get on the track. I'm going to go out and ride the same way I was had been riding my life my entire life. But there has to be. There has to be something on the back end that, that kind of assures that I'm going to be okay if something was to happen. Has to. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of acceptable risk. Yep. Exactly. Right? Yep. And 100%. Whether, wherever that might be. And like even doing this deal that I'm doing now, I go out there with a certain amount of acceptable risk. I know that there's some outside things that I can't control. Yep. Right. And, uh, but I try to put myself, you know, in the best places possible, and I'm confident in my abilities to navigate the racetrack in a in a, in a manner that's fast, without getting into too much trouble. Yeah, which is great. But the guy, the guy that won all the stuff up to this point, that guy was willing to risk a lot to be there, mm-hmm. and it's not easy to just pull that guy out of nowhere, right? And yep. and put that guy on track, which is what people expect, especially if they're going to pay you to be there to do it. I'm not going to go out there and just mail it in. I'm not going to do it. It's not, it's not worth it to me to do that. Well, I think once you've made that, once you've made that commitment too, it's, you've got to be that guy that you've been in the past, not only because of what, you know, there's no legacy to protect with you because everybody knows that, that you've won a bunch. I think that the thing is though, to yourself, it's pretty hard to go out there and just give, 75% 75% of you, you know, like when you're yeah. used to being programmed a certain way. So, yeah, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's even funny because, you know, I've, I've done into endurance this year into yep. endurance with the into team. And, uh, I remember being at Savannah and Emerson, uh, says to me, he goes, man, like what's going on. And I'm like, I was pretty nervous for the start of the race. He's mm-hmm. like, dude, you're Josh Hayes. Like, what are you nervous about? I'm going, dude, I'm Josh Hayes at a wearer race. What if I get smoked in the first yeah. <laughs> first stint? You know what I mean? Like, how do I live with that? And he was just like, 
man, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's like, 100% true, though. Yeah. I, I feel the pressure all the time because people expect a certain guy to show up. Like, it was hard for me at Pittsburgh. I was watching the guys ride away from me in the first stint at Pittsburgh endurance race. And, you know, you can't do or say anything or anything until after the fact. And then, you know, your crew finds out, like, okay, I had I only had 20 extra pounds in the rear tire. <laughs> <laughs> That's all? That's what it took for them to slow you down, huh? <laughs> okay. But, you know, that, you know, you, you just, we've been here, we've done this enough times before you keep fighting. You know? yeah. And um, it's hard because it's a fine line to walk where I hate to lose and I'm willing to put a lot out there because I love this so much and I want to, I want to be that guy still because that's, that feels like me. And I want my children to see me love something so much that I'm willing to work and risk so much for it so that they will do the same in whatever walk of life they choose to do. But, it is a dangerous sport. Well, Josh, we certainly enjoyed having you on this podcast, and we appreciate you taking all this time. Jason and I are going to wrap some things up by finishing up our Moto America talk, talk about World Superbike, and then sign off, man. So we, we can't thank you enough. Thank you guys for having me, and maybe we'll do it again before the 400s. Yeah, let's get yeah. that done, Josh. I'm going to talk to Greg about whatever beef he's got with you, and then you know I'll sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of years to unpack there Who knows? <laughs> a lot there of years <laughs> All thanks, right, thanks joshy thanks brother take care guys well jp hayes is gone we still have a little bit of moto america to talk about obviously you know uh junior cup's going to be very interesting twins cup is going to be interesting either way you've got to check it out but one thing we forgot to talk about that i want to bring up again was moto gp fantasy oh because yeah. Gee, i made big you? i made big strides this week g-dub big strides you, Dude, I can tell from you trying to sell it that you oh, didn't yeah. make big strides, but you no, definitely I you I went north. Like, I jumped up like nine places. From 141st to like 130 no, no, something? No, 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 From 278th to 269th. <laughs> Come on, um, man. Good for you. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I'm good stoked. for you. No, dude, I'm up, I went from 43rd to 41st, so at least I'm off oh, the schneid. I, went, I, went I literally went from Jason Pridmore to Josh Hayes. Think about it. 41. Very nice. Ah, Very nice. Hey, like you know it? what's great? You're going to love this. Guess who I got rid of? Nutella I got, sandwiches? I got rid of my guy. I got rid of my guy, Renz. I got rid of him, and I mm. added Jorge Martin. That worked out. And then I got, rid of, I got rid of Aleish. You did? And I put Bastianini on. Ah, uh, see. Now, I think Bastianini's going to be strong the rest of the way. I'm going to have to dump Vinales, get Bastianini, and I'm going to move him and Pecco to, to gold. That's my point. I got to dump the guy I can't get rid of just because I don't have enough money. I got to get rid of Disney Antonio. He stinks. <laughs> hey, as soon as you get rid of him, you know the guy's going to get a pole position and a podium. Like it's yeah, going to happen just like that. It, but he ain't doing nothing. How many turbo? Do you have you turboed anything this year? How about how would you like to be Disney Antonio and you're worth the same amount of money as Crutchlow? <laughs> Who's not, not done any races? He's just a test guy. I, Unbelievable! I don't mean to laugh, but you but know, you are, and that's not a knock rough. on Crutch though. That is like that's a huge no. knock on. Like he's I'm the same Antonio. price. He's the same price as Savadori. He's the same yeah. price as Watanabe, who's done who did his first Grand Prix ever. Like the mm-hmm. Antonio is that bad, and the guy had pole position this year. Mm. He had a pole. That's unreal to me. Anyway, anyways, join us in the fantasy. Anyways, okay, yeah. we're we are we are so all over the place in this podcast, and I yeah, apologize. Sorry, it was. We're yeah, sorry. we're sorry, but but you want to check out Moto America Live Plus app. Okay, Junior Cup is down to the wire. 
Stock thousands all wrapped up. Twins Cup is down to the wire. Down and the wire. Bill Train Race is down to the wire. Plus, yeah. I'm not sure if Moto America is going to show this or not. I have no idea because it's really not part of our series. But the North American Talent Cup, I believe it's their last race of the season as well. It's going to be with us at Barber. Oh, wow. So it's going to okay. be Didn't nice to watch the young talent. Yeah, see who see who's going well in the North American Talent Cup. So that's cool. Um, World Superbike is coming up, JP. It's coming up at, at one of my favorite tracks in the world, Catalonia. What do you think? Yeah, it's going to be great. I think it just depends. I haven't looked to see what the weather's going to be like, but um, oh, uh, well, you know, especially after what happened last last time out and Batista slinging stuff, and <laughs> you know, I it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, look, I have I totally know why the guy was pissed. I get it, but. I think that I kind of saw where Top Rat kind of came to Johnny's like, hey, racing's close and race things happen and nobody's going out there to knock anybody over and blah, blah, blah. I saw that. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's, I think it's a good track for the Ducati, honestly. I think it's going to be. It is. I mean, that straightaway is long. It's downhill. It's pretty gnarly. They stop well. I think if, I think Top Rat, he can make passes in turn one. It's, it's, it's very much his deal. But, 97% 97% chance of rain on Saturday, cloudy and showers and thunderstorms oh, no on yep. Sunday, a little rain in the morning, 62%. So that's the forecast for Catalonia. It's interesting. Yep. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. That whole thing. That, yeah, so. it definitely will be. Um, yep. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to dude. We have, Oh my gosh. What is your schedule for next week? I'm flying out home? tomorrow. Actually, I'm going to fly out tomorrow. going to hang out in, um, I'm going to hang out in Birmingham for a couple of days because I've got a bunch of friends down there that are friends from out here in California that live in Alabama that uh, I get to play golf with every year in Birmingham. So I'm going to go down there for a couple of days and then I'm pumped for the final race of the season. And um, yeah, we'll do our podcast next Tuesday. I'm going to hang out for the track day on Monday and then, and then, um, and then I'll fly home. I fly home Monday night so we can do our podcast Tuesday. Can't wait till next week. It's going to be a really good podcast. All right. That'll hey, do have it fun editing station. this. If you guys only knew, what are we, Greg? We're we did. What are we like? We're Greg and I literally are probably two two and a half hours into this day as far as the podcast goes, and it's going to get chopped up and everything. Poor G Dub, he's got some work to do. 